Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. And this episode, we're going to drive our black Mustang with flames to the edge of New Brunswick with SST 182, the Everett Shock Ghost Boys record. First time we've had an Everett Shock record. I think the first time we've had Everett Shock at all mm-hmm. on the show. But we've got some familiar names, some familiar sounds on this record, and a special guest, Brent. Yeah, Everett Shock himself is on the show. Awesome. I feel so lucky again when I was listening to the interview. It's just amazing because there's so little out there, there on this record. There's nothing. This might yeah. be the the uh, the record with the lowest online presence that we've ever done. <laughs> Yeah, some of the tracks are on YouTube, though, thankfully. The whole thing's actually on Spotify for people that oh. want to hear it streaming. Oh, right on. Yeah. I I do think, though, this is one of those SST records that people unfairly just kind of toss aside as like an avant-garde weirdo record. And don't get me wrong, there is some weird stuff on here, but there's also some killer tunes. Yep. Yeah, it's good. It's I'm... Yeah, I can guarantee you this is one people would point to as like when SST was just putting everything out. And you'll hear Everett actually talk about that in the interview. But uh, to me, that's a, a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's some there's some really cool tunes on here. I uh, I was just digging the bass playing. Uh, but I mean, I, knew you I, would. Feel, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like the main thing I pick out of unfamiliar records to me. Anyways... Episode two, since we're back, back in the saddle fully, why don't you hit me with some spiels, Brant? Okay, my spiel this week is called Five Weird Records. <laughs> Good. If you like Everett Shock, check these records out. Oh, nice. Uh, Ron Ruins, stylized as one word. A record of theirs is called Big Shoes from 2001. Ron Anderson uh, was in a killer band called Pack, who I know from their 2011 album on Zadok. Uh, but he, he's more well-known for his band, The Molecules. Hmm. Have we talked about them? Doesn't ring a bell. Doesn't mean we haven't, though. Okay, free jazz, punk, prog, insanity. He has a band camp with all kinds of stuff, including The Molecules. Um, all of these bands, actually, including a 2021 remaster of this album also as is implied by the project name ron ruins also includes legendary japanese avant-garde experimental jazz drummer and composer tatsuya yoshida as well as japanese bassist sasaki hiyashi uh, of the duo ruins and if you're looking for audio madness look no further than ruins tons of albums on labels like shimmy disc skin graft zadik Palaschum from 2000 on French label label Sonore is a good place to start for Ruins. Fans of avant-garde metal like Phantomas, for example, would love this ah. Ron Ruins record. It's mathy, proggy, noisy. It's a this is a recommend for you, Ryan. Okay. Ron Ruins, big shoes. Ron Ruins, big shoes, done. Blurt, blurt plus singles. Uh, which is a compilation of their 82 self-titled album and four early singles. British trio playing what some have described as Dada avant-garde jazz or paranoid jazz mutant funk were some descriptions (laughs) that I found. (laughs) 
<laughs> Paranoid jazz mutant funk sounds mm-hmm. good. The whole project, which is still active, by the way, is centered around the alto sax and poetry of Ted Milton. He's a total legend. Blurt have released over 20 records. He's done many others under his own name. Uh, he's a celebrated visual artist. A lot of what Blurt does is kind of establish a repetitive groove while Ted just does his thing on top. Ah, that can be cool. Yep. Stump, a fierce pancake. 1988 Ensign Records, Irish-English experimental rock. This was their second and final album. Ensign was a major label subsidiary of Chrysalis with a roster like Sinead O'Connor, The Waterboys, this album tanked, but it's gained a cult following. It's apparently one of Mike Patton's favorite records. Hmm. It gets compared a lot to Beefheart and The Fall. They're a weird band. Uh, I think Zoogs fans would probably dig this. Uh, unfortunately, vocalist Mick Lynch passed away in 2015. Pinsky Zoo. This was mentioned to me by a listener a while back. I, I spent way too much time trying to find out who it was. Uh, but I thank them. I couldn't find. I couldn't find it. <laughs> uh, the record I checked out is called "The City Can't Have It Back" from 1983, Dugout Records, which I assume is their label, as almost all of their albums are on that on Dugout Records, and they're the only artist on the label too. There is a Bandcamp with a few of their albums on it, although not this one. Here's what I found about them on All Music. A more user-friendly last exit, combining the free jazz Mm. of the 60s, the funk fusion of the 70s, and the technology of later decades. Saxophonist Jan Kopinski is the band leader. He comes from the Ornette Coleman Coltrane side of jazz for sure. Definitely Mm. has that downtown New York vibe of the 80s, although they were a UK band. And then finally, Ryan, speaking of the downtown New York bands, here's one for you. I tracked down, after talking about this band during a trip to the comp zone on my knitting factory spiels Ah. uh, from earlier in the the year, 101 crustaceans. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best band names of all time, for sure. Love that. Songs of Resignation on the cool New York label Fang Records. Lots of stuff to explore on that label. Uh, There's only this record from 89 and then a second one from 2012 called Train Bolt Roller, which is actually up on Bandcamp. Uh, I know I also talked about singer-guitarist Oren Blodo during those Knitting Factory spiels. He plays bass on this one. Ed Pastorini is the main vocalist and he plays guitar in 101 crustaceans uh ben porowski is the drummer found an excellent piece by peter herb on the perfect sound forever page about ed, ah. about ed definitely some beef heart comparisons but this is scronk and good wild new york jazz right on there you go five weird records for you to check out i love that segment thanks mom what do you have All right, all right. So, remember last week? Remember how I said I made a bunch of lists during Mojack vacation? Brant's rants? No, no. I'm not going to do my Brant's rant this week. I've got too much list work to get through. Okay, spiel for the dudes. Are you ready? So, I'm going to... This this segment is called In Case You Missed It over the last three and a half months or so. Okay. okay? Do I need to get my pen out? 
Well, I'm going to get to rapid fire about 35 items. Whoa, hold on. So, so hold I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah. Let me open my duo tang. Okay, get your cockatoo quill. Uh, don't worry though, I do have them categorized. There we go. Can That's you a nice read the head? Can you read the heading on the top of this? Can you see that? Stuff to listen to. Yes. Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, here's some stuff to listen to. This is in case you missed it over the last three and a half months. Uh, some of these we probably mentioned like leading up to our break, but just in case, here we go. I'm going to tell you if I missed it too. Okay. Yeah, please. Okay. okay. This first segment of the segment is podcasts. Here's the first one that I want to mention. The Oh Brother podcast, a podcast about the fall. This is hosted by Paul and Steve Hanley uh, from the fall. They had Henry Rollins on to talk about uh, the fall, but in particular, Steve Hanley's book, The Big Midweek, that Guy from Fugazi had recommended to Henry. Great book, great podcast. Oh, brother, check that out. Missed it. The Vinyl Guide had Keith Morris on to talk about the new lineup of the band, the Metallica cover, the new record coming out. Also had Milo Ackerman on a uh, separate episode to talk about the Ninth and Walnut record that I received in the mail while we were on break. The Watt from Pedro show had Lou Barlow on. That was killer. Mm -hmm. Conan Neutron had on Kira Rossler to talk about a bunch of stuff, her... Um, obviously like her film and TV career, Black Flag, but also about her new solo record coming out. Conan also had on Greg Norton. We should also mention that Greg Norton has got a new band coming out called Ultra Bomb yeah. with uh, Jamie Oliver from UK Subs and Finney McConnell from the Mahones. It sounds like that is going to be released in March of 2022. Look forward to that. Still on the podcast type vibe here, Bob Mould was on an episode of What's in My Bag, the Amoeba Records show, which is cool. I watched that, yeah. He kind of just, he tells you about every record you expect him to tell you about, basically. <laughs> right? Kind of, yeah. yeah. But it's perfect. It's exactly what I wanted. Um, the Broken Record podcast. Uh, this actually just came out not too long ago. This had Henry Rollins on it, interviewed by Rick Rubin. That was a cool episode. And then probably my favorite podcast that came out while on break was the My Favorite Record podcast had Bob Odenkirk on. And the record that he discussed on the My Favorite Record podcast was Sorry Ma Forgot to Take Out the Trash by the Replacements. Everyone knows Bob Odenkirk is a big Matt's fan. And uh, it was just a killer episode. It was right before he had his unfortunate heart attack, but it sounds like he's back in the saddle after that. Um, speaking of the mats, though, new music segment of this segment, reissue component. Sorry Ma is being reissued dozens of unreleased tracks. There was a new Tar box set that came out, remastered with a live LP on Chunklet Industry. Uh, Mud Honey's Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge was reissued. Numero, uh, I don't know how this happened and I missed it. It seems like they have reissued the almost the entire karate catalog. You can get their self-titled and in place of real insight on a physical copy now. They also re-released the Seam Headsparks record. That's an old homestead band, of course, with ties to Bitch Magnet. Great stuff coming out on Numero all the time. New releases. There was a live Obits record, Die at the Zoo. 
a new dead record, Up Yours. This is the band from Australia. We Empty Rooms is the label. Last year, they put out their great raving and drooling record. Mets, a new live album, Live at the Opera House. Always love new Mets. Uh, Another Heaven, the great, they're called kind of like gloom, pop, sludge, gaze from uh, Minneapolis. It, for fans of like Hum or Failure, Another Heaven, their new album Three is out. It's killer. There's a new John Coltrane coming out, A Love Supreme, live in Seattle on Impulse. Cannot wait to hear that. You just know it's going to rule. Kowloon Walled City released uh, or announced a new album, Piecework. Um, it's been like six years since their last release. Love those guys. A new Cherubs record came out uh, or is coming out. A new EP, Slow Blow for Friends and Sexy is what it's called. Loved the last Cherubs. Love the rebirth of Cherubs. That's going to be good. A new Live Helmet is announced uh, recently here in the last week or so. That's going to be coming out in November. This is pre-Strap It On Live Helmet, apparently. Yeah. Scream, the DC band, Scream, has got a Kickstarter out for their first album in decades. Um, it's going to be... I believe the last album recorded at Inner Ear Studios. Ian MacKay is involved. So is Dave Grohl. There's lots of guests. Um, but you can Kickstarter up a new Scream record. That's going to be awesome. You just know it. And then to round out the new releases or things to listen to, I've got three on the tree. On Water Under the Bridge Records, they released the Harry Carey demos. That's Luis Maldonado and Richie Wilder's band after Sacron Trust. So 7-inch, Harry Carey, Water Under the Bridge, check that out. On Cuneiform, the fourth World Quintet, 1975. This is Roger Miller. Um, This is some avant-garde jazz rock recordings that were recently discovered from 1975, Ann Arbor, Michigan, on Cuneiform, which we've talked about a lot on the show. Roger Miller, of course, um, Mission of Burma, uh, but also some solo records that we'll get to on SST. And then... New to me, but not a new release like Harry Carey or the Fourth World Quintet. I I found a uh, a new new to me seven inch. It's a split. It's the Jeffrey Lee Pierce Sessions project. One side is a Keith Morris proj with Ty Siegel, John Dwyer, and Stephen McDonald, and then the other side is a band called the Primevals. This is from 2014 on Glitterhouse. But another one on the tree that I wasn't aware of and I discovered. Uh, I have a bunch of those Jeffrey Lee Pierce sessions full lengths. Oh yeah? How how are they? The singles okay? Yeah, uh, it's been a while since I listened to them, but I'm sure there's stuff on the tree there for sure too. Yeah, yeah. On yeah, those yeah. records. Yeah. Well, I just I didn't know that there was more out there. I just kind of stumbled across this, so now I'm going to dig deeper for sure. Did you um, see Ryan that that label Blixa Sounds that reissued? Uh, Miami did a double LP of Fire of Love with a live. Oh record. yeah, 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 yeah. They're they're really um, doing Jeffrey Lee and the Gun Club justice. Yeah, for sure. Those are great on DVD. Ready? Yeah. You could probably stream these or something. I don't know. Punk the Capital: Building a Sound Movement, a new documentary on Washington D.C. seventy-six to eighty-three is the period it covers to further build out the story from the Great Salad Days and Positive Force documentaries, Punk the Capital. I had to order it from Amazon in the U.S. It'll get here next year sometime. And 
I don't know if we saw we saw this before the break, but there's a Dinosaur Junior documentary coming out, Freak Scene. And all right, finally, I think this is to wrap up the list. Literature. Okay. Ready? Yep. Okay. What I see, the Glenn E. Friedman photographs of Black Flag. This is coming out in April of 2022 on Akoshic Books, but uh, a collection of Glenn E. Friedman Black Flag only coffee table book. That's obviously going to be killer. A scene in between. This is uh, a great uh, photo and kind of storybook by Sam Nee. It's uh, really about, I would say, mostly the 1980s UK indie scene, but it's not just the UK indie scene. It's being treated to a revised edition, which I'm excited to see. I've, I've got a really, really beat up copy of the original one. This is coming out on Cicada Books in June of 2022. Another one that was announced, In My Eyes, Photographs, 1982 to 1997 by Jim Sa. This is hundreds of never-before-seen DC scene photos. This is, you know, those great DC black-and-white photos by Walden Books, In My Eyes. That looks cool. Pre-ordered that one. Hard and Fast, Photos by Melanie Nissen. She is the co-founder and photographer for Slash Magazine. Looks to be a great L.A. punk photo book. Coming out on Blank Industries. Not much info on, on this one that I can tell. Blank Industries, it seems like it's coming from Australia, which is odd for an L.A. you know, punk coffee table book, but why not? And then finally, the last on my In Case You Missed It list on the literature side of things, High Desert by James Spooner. This is uh, the guy, he is the director of that really cool documentary, Afropunk, really talking about, you know, the black experience in punk rock. And James is also a contributor to Razor Cake. This is a graphic novel memoir, a kind of a coming of age in punk. And every chapter, as I, I, I think what I read was every chapter is named after a Black Flag song as well. High Desert. That one looks cool. Awesome. Uh, do you feel better? Do you feel relieved after laying that giant spiel log? I do. Cause now I can start talking about new stuff. I've been sitting on this for three months. Now I've got a list of new stuff to hit up starting next week. Okay. Hey, a few things I thought of while you were talking. Yeah. Uh, Dave Markey's been posting some pictures on his Instagram of people getting interviewed like Stephen McDonald, for example, uh, for a Bill Bartell documentary. Oh, wow. Can't wait to see that. Yeah. And then uh, another thing I thought of is Barry Adamson has a book coming out from Magazine, and we'll be actually talking about him, I think, probably next week for These Immortal Souls, but he's got a book coming out. Nice. Yeah. A Bill Bartell documentary is long overdue. Yeah. I, I, I was uh, just thinking the other day. In fact, I think I saw a post by Brian Walsby kind of, talking about white flag recently and saying like you know similar to what i have said i suppose maybe you know not just a joke band yeah. like that was a legit unit great records by white flag and uh, and what was the name of that podcast where they talked about bill bartell for like an hour oh there's a few episodes uh, uh raspberry uh, paisley stage raspberry and rhyme that's and, the one yeah and they uh they have a few bill bartell round tables Okay, I only listened to one after yeah. you recommended. I didn't know further ones came out. Yeah, I think they've done two or three of them, actually. Oh, no way. 
Yeah. No way. Great podcast. Jeff and Soraya. Podcast shout out. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, I gave you and our listeners some stuff to check out over the that that kind of was announced or came out over the last few months here. And uh, next week, a Brant's Rant, Ryan edition. Okay. Hey, speaking of Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme podcast, I haven't listened to it yet because it just came out, but they had on uh, somebody who's making a Dream Syndicate documentary. Oh, no way. Yeah. You know, I actually have never really dove into Dream Syndicate, and I know you're a huge fan. This is actually, it's funny, because uh, I've been meaning to ask you, like, if I got to start with a Dream Syndicate album, and there's always one that I see whenever I'm looking. It's like their their most famous one of all time. But which is the one that I need to like buy and listen and fully immerse myself into to get fully Dream Syndicated? What's the one? Uh, well, most people would tell you that the day of the days of wine and roses. That's their famous debut that's record. The, that's the one I always see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I my vote is for Medicine Show. Medicine Show. Okay. It's got I feel so like... many great songs on it. And yeah. if you get the CD version, it's got their live EP on it too, which is really good. Yeah. I kind of feel like I've slept on them. I'm embarrassed. I'm long overdue. And I've been meaning to ask you because I know you would give me like, you know, the perfect starting place. Medicine show. Done. It's got their best song on it. Merritville. Merritt fail? Merritville. Merritville. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Plus John Cr- John Coltrane Stereo Blues is on there too. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. I like the name. There's some great names on this Ghost Boys record though. Wanna hit it? Yeah. History lesson, part one. Alright, so like I said, there's not much out there on Everett. This is his first time on the show. We're so lucky to have him on as a guest. It's a great interview. I don't use this word often, but the interview Brandt was sublime. Like it was just <laughs> the to hear Everett reminisce and describe. It is a fantastic listen. I just loved it. I just loved it. Yeah. Um, we'll probably you'll probably cover some of this here in a moment. But you know, when I talk about some of this sounding familiar, we have of course had Henry Kaiser releases on the show before 118 devil in the drain and the fred frith and henry kaiser with enemies like these who needs friends at sst 147 and then you also mentioned in the interview 110 or s you also mentioned in the interview sst 110 the crazy backwards alphabet um so definitely some familiar sounds on this record uh lots to dig into i will say though like I have probably not listened to this record for many, many years. And when I listened to it, it did not sink in. It sunk in this week a lot better this time. And I made a bunch of audio sound connections, I guess you could say, um, with Zappa's world, especially in the 80s after listening to this record that I had never made before. And I'm thinking like part of it is being prepped in previous episodes not just by the henry kaiser episodes but like elliot sharp episodes and and all these people that we've had on the show over the last year where it's just like out there but it's out there in a great way yeah yeah i'm like you i barely knew this record until until this episode and i've been just soaking in it all week (laughs) have you been soaking in it madge yeah nice all right, well, here's a little uh, history lesson. 
Uh, and some of this I got from Erling Wold as, as well. I've been talking mm. to Erling a little bit. Uh, so the story of Everett Shock starts in the late 70s in Garden Grove, California with the band Name. Name were the band formed by Lynn Murdoch, Bob Adams, Everett Shock, Erling Wold, Judith Stadman, Mark and Rich Crawford, and then later on Henry Kaiser. They self-released a seven-song EP in 1981 of experimental avant-garde rock, very similar to what you hear on the Everett Shock LP. One of the tracks off this 12-inch EP, called Book of Joel, we've heard in an updated version on episode 110, Crazy Backwards Alphabet. That group, of course, featured, as you mentioned, Henry Kaiser on guitar, and Bob Adams played on a few tracks. Mm-hmm. In 1985, Name released a full-length LP on their own Spooky Pooch Records. You'll hear in the interview the story of how by they, about how they kind of morphed into the Everett Shock project, almost. Uh, but before we get to the interview, I'll just briefly introduce the musicians so everyone can follow along. Bob Adams, I just mentioned, he on the Everett Shock record is on guitar, vocals, and bass. Rick Crawford on bass, keys, guitar and vocals. Mark Crawford on drums. We've seen Mark pop up here and there. He played with El Grupo Sexo. He was the drummer on Zoog's Riff's Water 2 at a Safe Distance album, episode 137, and also on episode 151, Scott Colby Slide of Hand. Henry Kaiser, of course, as you mentioned, we've seen a number of times, and we will again. Yeah. Lynn Murdoch on keys. Lynn also played as part of the Duncan Trio along with uh, Richard, Erling, and others. They have an album on Spooky Pooch. Erling Wold on keys. Erling has solo albums on Spooky Pooch of electro art rock, and he's had a lengthy and impressive career in, in music, making chamber opera pieces all over the world. When I talked to him, he was in Italy. Uh, you can hear a number of them, along with his early spook, Spooky Pooch albums on his Bandcamp. And that leaves us with Everett Shock on vocals, keyboards, and saxophone. Everett is now, he now works at Arizona State University, School of Earth and Space Exploration, and in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. So there you go. That's the, the cast of characters. Let's kick it over to Everett, and he can tell us more about how NAME became the Everett Shock Project. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Everett Shock. Everett, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for uh, contacting me. Now, going back, Everett, did you grow up in the Bay Area, or where did you where do, where are you from? No, I grew up in um, Southern California, um, as did actually several of the people who were playing the music, Ghost Boys. I grew up in Garden Grove, California, which is the heart of Orange County, California. Uh, about two miles from Disneyland. <laughs> now, pre-Everett Shock, was Name the first kind of band that some of these people formed together, or was there something even before that? Well, there was something even before that, and um, it it was uh, it, it involved um, two of the people who were in Name um, with me, and. Um, uh, fourth person who is uh, Brian Woodbury, who has released lots and lots of recordings, and we 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 did a thing that was called Splendrix, believe it or not, 
which was the name of a corporation that we all apparently worked for. Um, and it was more of a theatrical production and uh, it had a storyline and it went on for an hour or so. <laughs> it was all very absurd. And we, we rented a theater in San Francisco uh, uh, and put it on for several weekends. And that was before uh, we decided, uh, we sort of regrouped and, and started up uh, Name. Okay, Splendrix then. You played music, but it was yeah. also th theatrical? Um, yeah, it, in, in that there was sort of a storyline that connected all of... So, so you know, we, we played the music in the same order because it was as if there was a story going on right. um, about these uh, four people who apparently worked for this corporation called Splendrix. Okay. So, and Boy, that's really that's really going back there. I hadn't <laughs> anticipated a question about splint about that stuff. <laughs> okay, uh, now what what year roughly would have this? Oh, uh, that would have been like late seventies. So that would have been like about nineteen seventy nine or so. Okay, so who were the uh, the people that would go on to be in name? So that would be uh, me and Erling Wold and Len Murdoch. And um, Erling Wold has gone on to write various theatrical pieces and operas and so forth, and has many commissions for his his uh, works and lots of recordings. Out. And those those and Brian Woodbury, um, those four people. That was that was Splendrix. Mm -hmm. And then we uh, Brian moved somewhere, probably San Diego or something like that. And we were living in the Bay Area, and we um, got together with people that Erling and I knew from high school days and started the band Name. Okay, so who who that went on to be in Name did you know from high school? Like, did you know Henry and Rick and Mark from high school? No, yeah, Rick and Mark Crawford and uh, Bob Adams were all uh, people we knew in high school from Southern California. Bob moved up to... Northern California to start playing music um, with us, and we found out that the Crawfords uh, live not far away. Uh, we were totally stunned and surprised, and so we got together with them. And what do you know? We had similar, still had similar musical tastes, and started playing obnoxious loud music. <laughs> so, okay, when you say similar musical tastes, then both in high school and then after high school what were those tastes because name is like obviously beefheart zappa maybe some of that stuff that i know henry was into but what mm -hmm. were you, what what was the common well, thread w with yeah. you guys musically well you know as um high school teenagers in uh southern california in the 70s it was there was a lot of uh what was known as progressive rock in our in, in our diet, mm -hmm. you know, um, bands like Genesis and Yes and King Crimson, <laughs> even and Led Zeppelin was, of course, adopted as being acceptable mm -hmm. uh, in that realm. Um, and but we were also, um, you know, taken with uh, people like Bowie because of what 
he represented in terms of you know actually being yourself and so forth um which was which spoke pretty clearly to um teenagers in suburbia in the 70s but you know that was kind of what what we were what we were exposed to and i think that by the time we were getting back together as a band this was a few years later i think a lot of us had gone off in all sorts of other directions of um listening to jazz and improvisational music and all sorts of you know various 20th century composers and all that kind of stuff and just kind of shoving it all together thinking thinking well this is you know there's there's music we like and music we don't like so much and it doesn't really matter what it's categorized as you know yeah uh while those influences i mean you mentioned prog rock it definitely comes out in the in the playing the, you got <laughs> well, the, the well the musicians have, had serious chops for sure when you when you have four uh guitarists all playing different parts well and bass uh that are all interwoven together yeah it kind of has that uh, overtone of that era <laughs> yeah but okay. we were also inspired you know by the whole punk rock explosion of the late 70s which was the first real i mean now this all is just totally what everybody does right everybody just does produces their own music and you stick it out on the internet and you, people either like it or don't like it maybe you have a career maybe you don't but in those days of course none of that existed none of that was possible um we were really kind of taken with the idea of these the punk rock attitude which was well we're going to do this stuff ourselves and so that was very refreshing because it, even though the so somehow we managed to merge those things even though the punk rock thing was kind of a rebellion against all that hopelessly pompous progressive rock kind of stuff we kind of saw it as well you know these these are just people making things happen by themselves without being dependent on a whole system and ah so oh, that's the alarm telling me that uh, I'm going to we're going to talk sorry about that just ruined your recording anyway um yeah and so we we kind of i don't know for some reason we 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 combined influences without of course really thinking about it it was just what was happening around us well i think most punk rockers now admit they never stopped listening to uh you know the grateful dead and led zeppelin they just didn't tell anybody back then yeah right <laughs> kept it a secret <laughs> right headphones are good for that yeah <laughs> okay so we're getting into name then so tell me about rick and mark crawford obviously brothers the rhythm section yeah. of name and and you went to high school with them quite the rhythm section yeah <laughs> yes uh quite amazing all these all, i was surrounded by all these amazing musicians and i just sort of ranted uh i was a <laughs> mediocre musician um and but uh yeah this this guys were were tremendous and um ridiculous uh senses of humor um all this whole group of people just uh, an yeah a really amazing influence <laughs> yeah for sure i I remember Henry Kaiser telling me Bob if he could only ever play with one guitarist for the rest of his life it would be Bob Adams. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting statement. Huh? Yeah. yeah I, I might be misquoting him but it was yeah, he I mean, was yeah. singing Bob's praises for sure. It, it could be um 
Yeah, he had a real. Uh, Bob has a real. Well, I haven't seen her seen her talk to them for a long time, but at a really in those days a very sort of coming in at a weird angle on everything and um, we adopted a um, a um, a method of writing some of our music where he would make recordings and send and and give them to me and then I would um, listen to them and I would say hmm this part here in this recording I think goes with this other part over here in this other thing and I would do this very um, crude kind of splicing not physically splicing the tape but making a recording of the recordings in all these pieces and assembling the music out of these pieces and then you know we would get together and listen to it and of course he had initially no idea that these things would be would go together i mean that wasn't why they existed right um and usually his response was well you know all right <laughs> sounds <laughs> okay um and so there's a, a, a few of our tunes that were assembled that way and then we had to learn them which was really kind of impossible um because they were just these sort of recorded relics of some kind but uh, we taught ourselves this this music that we had accidentally managed to compose that way <laughs> um, so um so he, yeah so he was you know musically just open to all kinds of influences and ideas now how did henry come into the band <laughs> so um we um back in the um back in the splendrix days we were um, playing, uh, we were on the radio in Berkeley um, at the, um, oh, you know, the, the radio station that's on campus there at the university. Mm -hmm. um, it's been there forever. And, you know, Negative Land had a radio show on there for years and years, and I've forgotten now, probably KCAL or something <laughs> like that. Anyway. I, sh I should know, but they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, we, we were on there playing recordings of, um, of this, this ridiculous Splendrix music and promoting the fact that we had rented this theater in San Francisco and trying to get people to show up. Um, and um, you know, we came back to our, our house. We were, we were all sort of living in the same house, pretty much. Um, and, you know, we were back there sitting around and you know, the phone rings and because apparently we had given out a phone number uh, on this radio show. And so this guy on the other end of the phone says, hi, uh, hi, 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 it's, uh, it's Henry Kaiser here. And I'm sitting here with Fred Frith. Uh, and we just listened to you guys on the radio and we thought we should get together. You know, we were just like, you know, fell through the floor because, you know, it was like, well, we, yeah, we have, recordings by these people huh <laughs> what do you know what and what are they doing calling us this doesn't make any sense at all so that's act so we we actually kind of i guess we met henry through that um and then we were kind of we sort of stayed in touch uh, and then once name began to happen and we were um playing music we at some point i think 
<laughs> it's a long time ago. <laughs> like we're talking 40 years ago or more. I, um, I think we said, well, maybe we should find Henry and play this music for him and see what he thinks. And he, you know, obviously liked it and decided that he should be playing music with us too. So <laughs> I think that's kind of Henry's thing, making things yeah. happen. Yeah, getting definitely. people together. <laughs> definitely getting yeah. people together and making yeah. things happen. Yeah. Very much. Well, he made um, he made Ghost Boys happen. Henry Henry really made it happen. I, I'm assuming he was the SST connection. Yeah. 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 And and uh, yeah, well maybe maybe we'll get back to that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. He, he definitely, you know, made it all happen. So Okay, uh, Duncan and Erling Wold, brothers I'm assuming. Uh, no, uh, Erling and um, Erling and Lynn were married mm. back in those days, um, and Duncan is their son, and Duncan is portrayed there in the pic. I don't know if you have the picture. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's a little kid. Ah, okay. Um, but he acts. He performs on the um, on Ghost Boys. Um, as he um, um, so Henry had this. Um, fabulous electronic device called a synclavier. Yep. We've talked about and, it. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, this was just nuts. And, um, in fact, I believe there are some, uh, so, so what would, well, wasn't even called sampling, I think then, but I think we have some Frank Zappa samples somewhere in Ghost Boys because he had a synclavier <laughs> and of course Henry makes things happen. So he was in contact with Frank about, exchanging stuff and I don't know anyway so Erling was um, Erling was by training an electrical engineer and a sound uh, a lot of that was sound engineering so he was really helping Henry make this Sinclair actually function uh, and doing a lot of comp a lot of programming because the whole thing had to be programmed I mean it was just a monster right. um, and so one day he um, he was messing around with Sinclair and he held Duncan over the keyboard of the Sinclair and Duncan batted aimlessly at the at the keyboard and Erling recorded all of that and that became part of one of the tunes on Ghost Boys um, it's the the struck it's the main <laughs> part, the, the main theme of it is this extremely random um, uh, pounding on a keyboard by a maybe two-year-old um, and he um, but then what what Erling did was take the you could you know I mean this was early computer music technology kinds of things and it was very exciting because you could assign each uh, action on the keyboard to a different sound we thought this was you know I mean now this is all totally ordinary but in those days this was like totally revolutionary and you had to have like one of these gigantic machines to make this kind of thing possible and so he spent all this time programming which sound went with which of Duncan's batting at the keyboard um, and it uh, it's a it's a delightful thing I think okay and then you now did you play I know on Ghost Boys you play some keys and some sax are you did you are you trained at all Hardly. Self-taught? I mean, I, I, well, I, you know, I, I played in the you know, band in school. Mm -hmm. um, I took a 
few piano lessons as a kid because someone thought you should take piano lessons. It wasn't something I was particularly, you know, uh, enthralled about. Um, but um, so yeah, I would I you know I wrote words and ranted uh, about them um, with this. I mean, it was it it was truly astounding um, when we played clubs in Berkeley and Oakland and San Francisco back in long long ago um because the the stages are tiny right. you know this is like you're in a bar right and the, the stage is tiny and we've got seven people on the stage uh, you know four guitars bass drums and me and um we were really painfully loud and we're <laughs> playing this kind of rather complicated stuff but really loud and the n- normal thing that happened was there would never be a whole lot of people, but there'd be people at these shows and they would, we would start playing and they would back up. <laughs> they would back away from the stage like, oh, this is a little too loud. I need to get away from it. It was pretty delightful. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we didn't think about protecting our hearing or anything like that. So later on in life, it can, can be kind of a problem. Now, in, yeah. in name, who like what kind of shows would you have been playing? Do you re- recall like an, any standout shows from uh, with other bands or what kind of bills you would have been put on? Uh, the, I think the the one that I appreciated the mo- really enjoyed the most was when we played with Negative Land uh, in San Francisco somewhere in some building that probably has been torn down. I don't know, <laughs> um, and mainly because the um, the negative land show was so tremendous. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we were great, but uh, it was, and it was, it, it was good because there were, you know, a couple hundred people there. So it was bigger than a normal show. And, uh, and they were just really, they just were really tremendous. They did all kinds of excellent, excellent things. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's Jetta, Judith Stad, Stadham? If I'm saying that right. Judith Stedman. She, she was a friend of Henry's. And um, when, uh, so at one point, Bob moved back to Southern California and we had this music that had four guitar parts. And so uh, she learned the fourth guitar part that, and so, and I don't know, people traded parts around somehow and we still managed to keep the music going for, for a while. Okay. Now any touring at all with name? Uh, if you consider driving across the bay to San Francisco from Berkeley, a tour, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we just played um, individual shows uh, and just for like a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Did do some recording. Uh, Spooky Pooch Records, I'm assuming that's the band's label? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> there's the there's the punk rock coming in, right? The yes, old... exactly. We were going to do it ourselves. Yeah. The Ghost Boys album. So obviously it's all the same people or most of the same people from mm-hmm. name why is it an average shock record and not a name record <sighs> hmm that's a <laughs> that's a truly excellent question it was um i'm trying to wreck my brain here it was of course years later after we had done those the recordings we did with name were like 81 82 283 something like that and um, then we didn't play very we played only every once in a while and then 
not at all. And I was planning to move from the Bay Area, and Henry said, "Well, we should record some of this stuff um, somehow before before you go, so you know we have a record of it, right. a record in the sense of a a record, <laughs> you know, just like what was all this stuff we were doing." So you know, I said, "Okay, sure, why why not?" Um, and I don't know. Somehow he, uh, I don't know quite why when talked when he talked with the SST people that he promoted it with my name on it. I'm not really quite sure anymore. <laughs> so he, when you say you had stuff, was would this be stuff like that? Just you and Bob were working on, like kind of how you mentioned earlier that no, that was unrecorded or no, there was. Um, it wasn't well it was uh, yeah it was stuff that we hadn't recorded it was um some of it was from back a couple of years earlier but it wasn't just me and bob it was every you know everyone was involved in a lot of this stuff um so like the um a lot of ghost boys that features the horrible Sinclair making all kinds of racket um uh, and these and some of those you know, like the tune, the the track "Ghost Boys" was mostly put together, as I recall, by me and Rick Crawford, with contributions from from other people um, throughout. But so the, there was different influences on different different things. So we didn't have a, I don't know, nobody was in charge. <laughs> we just we just did stuff, and you know, you would, you know, I. I, for a while, I was like the only person with a job, and like I'd come home from having having been working, and it, you know these guys had been recording all day, and they had all this you know tape, uh, and then and then you know it needed to be assembled it somehow, and we'd mess with mess around with it, and then do it. There was not a plan, and nobody was really in charge of anything. We just like nobody sat sat around saying, "I'm going to write a song," I mean, or something like that. It just sort of all happened. I'm not quite sure how. Okay. Uh, well, I'm assuming the SST folks might have even have known name. I mean, by this point, the Crazy Backwards Alphabet record has come out, and a, a couple Henry Kaiser records. Yeah. So, and there's some yeah, there's some connection. It maybe yeah, maybe they did. Of course, they were, as you, I'm sure, know, they were in this frenzy of there's all this great music around. We should record it all and put it out on SST. And, you know, they were, and we were sort of in, the, I think we were sort of in the, we got swept up for Ghost Boys in this frenzy of the uh, SST people to just like document all what, all the, what they thought was great music around uh, in mostly, you know, a lot of it in California. But, um, and so it was just like it was good timing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The what you just said is hardly the you know the only time we've heard that sentiment for sure. Like, <laughs> which I'm thankful for, because you know we've got got some great music out of it, including this record. So you mentioned the recording. It says on the LP recorded sporadically January through July 1987, engineered by Mark Brian Johnson. But it doesn't say where, so I'm assuming the band was doing this recording themselves. Um, we recorded a lot of it in a home studio. <clears throat> this guy had built a studio in part of his house, <clears throat> and it was somewhere in Southern California, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
the way the timing worked, um, you know, it was definitely one of these things where hardly, you know, two or three people at a time were in the studio um, doing recordings on available <clears throat> available times. So it wasn't like there, there's not a live recording right. in any of that. Well, there, well, there isn't a live recording. There's pieces of that music that are mostly live, but then I wasn't there. And so then I added lyrics on top of stuff that had already been recorded, for example. Right. So. Did you play this stuff live after it was recorded? We did play several of these tunes live in probably about the last time we played live, yeah. <laughs> which was in Berkeley. Um, a few of them, but... Um, I, I, I feel think, like some of these would have been challenging to reproduce live. Uh, yeah, yeah. The ones, that are, the ones that sound a little bit more structured are the ones that we could actually play live. Yeah, yeah well, let's talk about these tracks a little bit and see what you remember. <laughs> okay. Okay, the title track. Uh, that's credited to you and Rick. So, yeah. Okay. I, again, you 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 kind of mentioned that you and Rick were constructing much of this, or or some of it, anyways. Yeah. Um, so, who are the Ghost Boys? Uh, that well, they they are the entities um, that are depicted in the song. <laughs> <laughs> they have a, ver a variety of uh, 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 sensory problems. You know the the tune goes through their various their various problems, right. what they can and can't do. It, would this be Mark on drums? It, it it almost sounds like a drum machine. It could be the Sinclair. Ah, I you, yeah, okay. because you could assign. You know, I mean, it was a an extremely early version of being able to sample and assign um, sounds to events on a keyboard. Right. Okay, toward Betty's door gets a credit to kind of the whole band. So I'm assuming maybe that was a holdover from the name days. I think that is because it was a spontaneous composition, um, mostly in the studio, and I, and and that was in the studio where all the recording was done. I don't remember if we pieced we did any piecework on the you know. <laughs> chopping it up or or not um but i that and uh and belch vigil later on um were these spontaneous you know Im improvised compositions for the most part ah. in the studio and then i got the recordings and it was like okay we need words on this and i'm like oh okay great that'll be easy <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> and, then, and then they they came into existence somehow, but I, there was, yeah, the, it's interesting that it's, I don't remember this Jan, in this January to July, I would have, I would have remembered, I remembered that as being a shorter period of time, but it's quite possible that it's actually the document from the past is correct. <laughs> what do you know? Um, and so it may have been that they did a bunch of this recording, you know, a few months before I got into the studio to, to put the vocal tracks and other things on. So, like, how much time are you spending on the writing of the vocals? Are you scribbling before you do a vocal take? Are you taking the track away and, and writing? For something like that, um, toward Betty's door, I had words. And I, so I, I used, I, 
back in those days, I had stacks and stacks of pieces of paper with lots of words on them. And so I what I remember is sitting there um, listening to this stuff and going through these piles of paper and finally saying, oh, well, this might work here. Um, I probably had to add, subtract, do things to the words and get them to do something which I considered fit to the music somehow. And I remember, you know, then practicing and listening to the recording and going going through it and trying to get it to what I thought was right. And then I, I had done that enough so that when we went, what I, what I remember about several of these things was going to the studio and adding the vocal tracks. And some of them are just one take. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them were a lot, for, ended up being a lot more work for some reason. I don't remember exactly which ones, but I know some of them, I just did them. And Henry just kind of said, oh, okay, that'll <laughs> do. That was just fine. And, you know, we left. And I, I, I kind of feel like that was one of those, but I'm, it's a long time ago. Right. Now, these stacks of uh, phrases or words or, you know, whatever you, you want to call them, are you specifically writing them to use as lyrics or were you doing poetry at the time or were, were you, well, I, I was thinking of it all as lyrics for songs mm -hmm. uh, that might, might or might not come into existence. It just kind of, when something hit me, I would, I would start writing and then keep a stack of the, I always had a stack of this stuff around. So what's the reference to the pork egg band? Um, that's what, <laughs> so that's what the, the subgroup, let's see, of, I believe, Bob, Earl, Mark, and Rick referred to themselves because they didn't want to call themselves name. And they did a lot of the, the, the recordings on the, on the, on Ghost Boys that sound like a band is playing. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mainly them. Okay. Um, and Henry is adding, um, fabulous noise um to to the recordings but it's it's so and and they didn't want to be they didn't want to be name because they weren't so i don't know where pork egg came from it sounds like they went to a chinese restaurant and they had a weirdly printed menu or something i, I don't know okay the next track is willie and tecumseh written by you and erling yeah You're that goes way back to name days and it's a you know it's a song about um, Tecumseh obviously and uh, William Henry Harrison, uh, one of the presidents of the United States, and their uh, encounter that goes along with the, uh, the the whole history of this encounter between um, Native Americans and the ever invading um, settlers from the East Coast moving west. I'm not quite sure why. Oh, I, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's coming back to me. Wait a minute, hold on. I had this notion that I should write a song about every president of the United States. That's what it is. And I think this is the only one that ever survived. <laughs> and I started trying to capture something peculiar about, um, and I don't think I wrote that many of them, maybe half a dozen, but this one actually um, stayed around. So really playing with time signatures on this track and all over the record. Yeah. Well, that was one of our favorite things. Um, if we could take a pattern and play it in 
four beats, but also play it in seven beats slightly faster and then alternate back and forth or something like that that basically sounds like the same pattern except it's not uh, we would we would we were in a total ecstatic state playing that kind of music we just thought that was the greatest thing obviously all music should sound like this we thought we considered it totally danceable um why wouldn't it be um and yeah so we did a lot of that kind of stuff and a lot of tempo changes uh, a lot of slowing down and speeding up and mm-hmm. there's totally there's some stuff that's totally unrecognizable because it's played fast and slow in the same recording i don't think that's anything on ghost boys um but where you know you have to tell people later no that really slow thing is the same as the fast thing except it slowed down about 10 times and oh really um you know and it didn't mean anything to them but we thought it was great (laughs) (laughs) there was always some scheme (laughs) to each one of these pieces of music (laughs) well it's like you say in the liner notes playing the stuff the way it ought to be played. I I feel like <laughs> you, this record couldn't have probably not have been made without the, you know, obviously without these people. Oh, definitely. I mean, it had a lot to do with the fact that we, um, you know, had known each other right. as kids or teenagers and then regrouped later and realized we still had a lot in common, even yeah. though we'd kind of gone somewhat different ways. Yeah, so, that's what I mean, the musical history. Between, yeah. between everybody. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, the Tom, Tommy Duncan song, Stay a Little Longer. I, <laughs> I'm always looking for inside jokes, and you, you say the line, he's got glandular problems. <laughs> What's uh, it? Actually, maybe that's, maybe that's Bob saying that. Uh-huh. I have no idea. <laughs> I have okay. no idea. Okay. But stay a little longer. I mean, that was, you know, there was a, there was a, we had, piles of like Bob Wills recordings and all that kind of stuff as well as all this other sort of music um, you know we would we would like listen to Charles Ives and you know John Cage and Bob Wills and Frank Zappa and Dolly Parton and you know all in the same afternoon and just think oh yeah this is all music and I can't explain why that happened that way but um, and so somehow that I remember Bob was particularly uh, thinking that we should record that, and so we did. I love this title. Harry wakes up and looks at the ground. (laughs) These things happen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, These are almost written like stories, some of them. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Harry um, is kind of an odd guy. He's um, obsessed with um, tying knots, especially... (laughs) if he can tie those knots um, with shoelaces on a shoe. <laughs> That's his thing. Okay. Um, and, yeah, as, as, you know, goes on with various obsessions about um, shoes and the sidewalks and the ground, and that's where, that's where Harry is. <laughs> Safety in sports. I just love the like the really inter- intricate bass lines that Rick is playing. <laughs> yes, that is um, that is another name uh, song uh, or something mm. that kind of we used to play. Um, we had we had a safety theme, um, and if you go on the name recordings, there's at least one. Or there's a safe, safety for yourself 
is a tune that's on one of our recordings. And there was Safety in Sports, and there were other songs that had safety as the first word. And I no longer recall why we thought this was really important. Um, but these tunes had this um, very much this the structural aspects where you have this phrase that was repeated slightly differently back and forth. And that produced this fantastic rhythmic thing where almost the same phrase is happening and the, you know, like a beat is left out of it on the rip, on the repeated side, or it's sped up and slowed down. And, um, you know, we just, we, it, again, we just thought that was the greatest thing we could possibly be doing. <laughs> <laughs> we thought that was a perfectly fine way to write music. Okay, Belch Vigil, you, you mentioned, was maybe uh, a bit of an improvised jam. Yeah, and then, um, right, and then I... Uh, had to find words that would go with it. Um, <laughs> so you went the, with no bending. <laughs> yeah, no bending, no bending. Um, uh, Blonde Buddy Ebsen appears in there because that is what, um, at some show, some drunk guy in the audience uh, referred to Rick Crawford as, you know, yelling at us, hey guys, who's this blonde Buddy Ebsen? And, and so that, that kind of stuck. Uh, so he, Blonde Buddy Ebsen shows up in that, <laughs> that song for some reason, um, and um, various other peculiar things. I remember Rick in particular thought that the adding the words to it really kind of put it over the top, because they had no idea what was going to happen to it when they recorded it. And I, I remember he especially thought it was, he, he liked it a lot. Rabid? crab baby this is the one uh we've actually heard in a different version on the podcast as the blood and the ink on the crazy backwards alphabet record <laughs> yes yeah rabbit crab baby oh well, there's a story there um again another sort of strange character running a a bar he's a K korean war veteran which of course 40 years ago meant something <laughs> 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 there aren't any, probably aren't any Korean War veterans around anymore. But anyway, yeah, that was a particular image I had um, just from seeing somebody who struck me as a rabid crab baby <laughs> and needed to <laughs> be immortalized somehow. Okay. Yeah, but he's, he's a strange character for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, yeah, the the uh, the just got back from Korea line. It sounds a lot like the devil in the drain voice on Henry's record. I can't remember <laughs> what he speaks into. It might be a vocoder or something like that on that record. But right, that is Henry. Yeah, you recognized him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's a wonderful slide guitar solo on this. I don't suppose you know if that's Bobber or Henry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm singing. I'm humming it, trying to remember. I it 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 goes on at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. It's carrying on, and there's kind of a there's actually sort of a fade out, and it's all still going. Oh, you'd have to ask Henry, but I think it's Bob. I I, I was going to say it is. It doesn't sound like Henry's playing. Yeah. Okay, one of my favorites. Stacy eats cheese. I need to know <laughs> what the hell this song is about. Yes, and so, the, I need to know about the pink bathroom. The pink bathroom. <laughs> yeah, the pink bathroom. Um, 
Yeah, that's kind of, that's strangely sort of the hit, I guess, if there was one. I mean, that's the thing that people remember is Stacey Eats Cheese. Um, after they've somehow survived listening to the rest of the thing. Um, let's see. There are um, there are a couple of places in that song, the pink bathroom and the broom closet, uh, both of which are were places in the house that uh, where I grew up with my family. Huh. Um, there were two bathrooms that were known. At, one was known as the pink bathroom, and one was known as the green bathroom because one was painted pink and the other was painted green. And I think as a kid, of course, I just accepted this, you know, that of course you'd have, that's how you talk about things. And then I realized later that nobody talks about, put it in the pink bathroom, you know, (laughs) here, here that, you know, just wash these towels, they go in the pink bathroom. And and I realized this is really absurd. Um, Yeah, so that's a rather dysfunctional family uh, there with, um, Stacy eating cheese and that, that being her, um, you know, and, and what they're worried about, you know, she stayed up all night with the Wilson boy in the pink bathroom, but they're not, it's, it's not really the hanky panky or anything that's gone on in the pink bathroom. It, what they're worried about is what she may have told the Wilson boy uh, in the pink bathroom. And so, you know, that is really what it's, it's sung from the point of view of mom, mm. um, and, and, and you know, because dad's going to get home. Well, actually, it's no, no, it's not sung from the point of view of mom. It's sung from the point of view of the younger brother of Stacy. That's right. I'll, I'll get this figured out. <laughs> and he's talking about mom and dad. That's right. And, um, and you know, dad's going to get home soon. And that that's a that's kind of a, a suburban Southern California um, mid last century sort of thing. You know, mm-hmm. dad coming home from work. Hey, dad's dad's going to get home from work soon. You know. Hey, there's, that's a thing. Yeah. That's a thing that happens five days a week. <laughs> you know, could be a good thing, in, could be a bad thing. He drives in the driveway. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what do you know? <laughs> um, so there's a lot of thing. There's a lot of aspects of that that are that are sort of and not that the events have nothing to do with my <laughs> with my childhood, but the, some of those things like dad's going to get home soon and the pink bathroom and so forth were definitely um, aspects of of growing up in Southern California right? in those days. Okay, and then the last track, Nothing, Nothing, Dog. Yeah, that's where Duncan, uh, ah, mm-hmm. that is Duncan's performance. Um, okay. And then Erling's reconstruction of the music. But it also has the Pork Egg Band in it as well. So it's a, it's an abrupt, tra- there's an abrupt transition from this Sinclair noise to this band playing noise, so. Right. And Allison Shock gets a credit. Who's Allison? Yeah. Allison's my wife. Ah, okay. She, she did the artwork. Yes, I wanted to ask about it because it's great and it suits the album perfectly. Oh, so, thank you. Is it, I'll tell her. <laughs> it looks watercolor. I think it probably is a, a lot as well as um, there's, a, there's colored pencil. It's a, a little bit of a mixed media thing. Yeah, it's really great. Is she... Does she do a lot of visual art still? Um, yes, yeah, she does a lot of uh, clay work, sculpture, mm. and actual functional stuff as well. Mm. That's great. We made it to Nothing Nothing Talk. Yeah. But there are um, the references to the um, youth in a Star Trek uh, uniform is a direct reference to uh, Erling Wold. 
uh, because early days in high school, he was such an incredible nerd that he and a friend of his made Star Trek uniforms and they would wear them to high school, like as freshmen or so in high school and talk about uh, instantly getting, you know, ostracized by everybody. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> two guys with incredibly long hair and, you know, Star Trek uniforms. We just thought these people are really, really strange. So, but they were, you know, they were such fans that they would, they would do that. That was long before there were, you know, Star Trek conventions and all that other kind of stuff. This record was sounds like was maybe a bit of a last hurrah for this group of people. Everyone kind of scattered uh, to the wind maybe after this. <laughs> it seems to be, except, well, at least in the, any of this format, of course, Henry's gone on to make about a thousand recordings. Mm -hmm. Erling's written these various operatic-like pieces of music, which you can find all over Bandcamp and everywhere else. Yep. Um, and the rest of them have been pretty quiet, I think. Did you do music after this? Not so much. I've gone off and done a whole bunch of other things. I, I went into, um, when, when we quit doing name was, um, I had decided to go back to school, in, in, uh, graduate school, and I was at Berkeley, and I was being a, an evil scientist. Um, and I continue to be an evil scientist to this day. <laughs> I'm now an evil professor at Arizona State University. <laughs> Does anybody ever bring this record up to you? Well, it, um, you know, I, um, I, um, I, I don't hide it. <laughs> uh, my, uh, some of my, some of the students who've worked with me on things have, have uh, found the recordings and you know, forced me to listen to it with them and so forth. It's, it's kind of <laughs> hilarious, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't know what they make of it. <laughs> Well, people seem to like Stacy eats cheese, though. Yeah, the whole record's great, and uh, you've given me great insight insight to it. So, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I think you you may be one of the few people that actually likes it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a time, and um, I'm I'm very glad that we made the recordings that we did of all that stuff we were doing. In, in those days because they do persist you know you can go back and listen to them I immediately get transported um, back to that time and I can listen to Mark Crawford play drums all day yeah uh, I'm totally satisfied with that so and things like that so yeah it's it, now you know now so many years later it's just fabulous that that stuff that we did it you know yeah. we actually made those recordings they still exist yeah Everett, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Hi, you're welcome. All right. Like I said, sublime. <laughs> Very cool to hear Everett describe it. I kind of wish I could be one of his students at university, too. Uh, I bet you that would be a cool class. I never had a prof like that where I could, you know, hey, let's go listen to your cool SST record and tell us all about it. Like, that would be wild. Yeah. So... Our Instagram is probably going to be pretty light this week because finding stuff on these bands is impossible and unfortunately no one really archived a whole lot. But Everett sent me the S a copy of the SST promo photo of wow. him and he got it off of the wall in like, I don't know, his class or 
the teacher's lounge or something. Somebody somebody found it and stuck it up in there. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great to hear him talk about, you know, the story behind the bands, but also the story behind each song. My favorite part, though, is for that song, Stacy Eats Cheese, when you went yeah. like, you, what the hell is that about? That was, uh, that was a great segment for sure. Yeah. How bad do you want to hear the band Splendrix, Ryan? So bad. I love, <laughs> I love the name. <laughs> yeah, here's some stuff I got from Erling Wold, actually. I think this, this quote right here kind of sums up this record. He told me, this record was our loved gift to Everett but it was after the band members had gone their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Everett to become a famous theoretical geochemist, me going back to school, people moving away, which explains its slightly disjointed mix of guitar stuff and synth stuff. So this is, you know, a bunch of people knowing that they're probably never going to play together again, you know, documenting some songs that they wrote. Mm-hmm. Or songs that they created, you know, or, or that, you know, uh, pretty spontaneously, I guess I would say. Yeah. Here's some other stuff I got from Erling. No one really know what to do with us. I'm sure we were all wrong marketing wise. We would show up dressed all in camping gear with tents, etc. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but early 80s San Francisco was kind of a free for all of punk and art bands and performance and performance artists. We did a lot of one-off shows like being the backup band for Diamanda Gallus. Oh, way. No way. Or yeah, or playing with Henry's improv friends. We were billed with Delta 5, Fred Frith and Massacre, The Appliances, The Teardrop Explodes, Group 87 at venues like The Sound of Music, Mabuhay Gardens, The Stone, Keystone on Broadway, The Deaf Club, Clubfoot Berkeley Square. Whatever other people were doing, we wanted to do the opposite. We were definitely extremely loud. We accumulated guitarists for a while. I think we got up to seven. <laughs> <laughs> Everett was, I suppose, an unlikely front man. He was the center of attention, drifting into reveries, attacking the microphone, a figure of authority. Bob and I would wander into the crowd. Here's a story he told me about Warner Brothers. They asked us to come down and make a demo. This is name. We weren't really thinking about how our music wasn't that commercial, and Warner Brothers wasn't in the habit of investing in music that wasn't going to sell all that well. And we weren't really inside the whole heroin-addicted blowjobs in the bathroom part of rock music. So it was curious when we had to cool our heels to get into the studio while Ricky Lee Jones had some kind of heroin-fueled sprawling whatever. It felt like we were getting closer to the center of the rock world. But Phil Brown, the engineer, was great, and we got a nice recording, which became our first EP. And on a side note, Ryan, Phil Brown also worked later on Henry's Devil in the Drain. Ah. Do you think that reference to Appliances, that's that band Appliances SFB? You think that's the same band? Yeah, probably. Man, that'd be cool. Um, You know, I don't know what it was, but I was thinking about how Splendrix and maybe name a bit that kind of reminded me of like the Hampton Grease Band, the Glenn Phillips thing, you know, like one of those like 
it, it was it was there just for a second and it was it was made it was created it was released like that could have happened for name right like it, they were on the cusp of something hampton grease band-esque you know yeah possibly yeah well the records are out there you can find them yeah, yeah. i'm just talking like major label yeah type thing yeah for sure so the other thing though that came to my mind is like this does not sound like a punk record but when everett is talking about punk and avant-garde coming together this this might not sound like a traditional punk record but it is a punk record and maybe it just does sound like a punk record because of that you know he totally told me off air about the influence the minutemen had on everett shock and that oh. is something you hear over and over and over yeah from guests on this show is the minutemen do it yourself. Yeah. Should we go through these tracks, Ryan? Yeah, man. History Lesson, Part 2. Okay, so this came out in 1988 on LP and cassette. And as I mentioned, it's on Spotify, so you can listen along. Track 1, Side 1 is the title track, Ghost Boys, written by Everett and Rick Crawford. I think I mentioned in the interview a possible drum machine here and Everett suggested po possibly the Sinclair. Mm -hmm. This song is just sheer madness. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, it's rapping, yeah. cowbells, synths, double kick drums. It also kind of sounds like a go-go song. Yeah, yeah. It's got a good it's point. got a go got a go-go rhythm to it, which is so weird. Yeah. Uh, here's what Erling told me. Rick didn't write too much in the band, maybe because there were there were already too many writers, but he did pen the title track. Hmm. And then the second song is Toward Betty's Door, written by Adams, Schock, Kaiser, and then the two Crawfords. Right off the bat, you can totally recognize that one-of-a-kind playing of Henry Kaiser. Mm -hmm. This one on the LP gets a notation sleeve as the pork egg band which is indicated on the lp sleeve as bob mark rick and henry again it really defies explanation this one it really needs to be heard yeah the best i could come up with is it's got what seems to me to be kind of a slow funk kind of groove but that's really not doing it justice yeah Here's what Erling told me. This has always been my favorite. Unfortunately, I wasn't at this session. Ah. Okay, then we go into Willie and Tecumseh, written by uh, Erling and Everett. Here's Erling. I wonder what Everett would have written about Trump. I sure, I'm sure it would have been <laughs> glorious. <laughs> well, hey, Everett was going to write a song about every president, right? Yeah. So he, he would have eventually gotten to Trump. This one's got some you know, strings in it and then marimba and you're just like, what is yeah. going on on track three now? That must all be the Sinclair, I bet. Or the keyboards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, track four, Stay a little, little Longer, an old Western swing song written by Tommy Duncan. Heard this covered a number of times, but never quite like this. No, uh, no, no. The lyrics are the only recognizable feature, really. Uh, it says, Arranged by Pork Egg. I like when they when they go, ah, there's that boy Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The slide guitar on this is killer. Um, I think I think the guitarist, whichever one it is, is also using an octave pedal. 
mm-hmm. um, which gives it a kind of a we- like a very unusual effect on an SST record. It sounds like an octave pedal. That's like something you would hear like the Edge use or Vernon Reed or something. Yeah. Okay, one of my favorites, Harry Wakes oh, yeah. Up and Looks at the Ground, written by Bob Adams and Everett Shock. I found all these Bob Adams songs, you know, have more of a groove to them. He definitely, you can tell the songs Bob had a hand in writing. I think Everett says this one's about Harry and his various obsessions, (laughs) the character in the song. (laughs) This one sounds like something that could have been on the Crazy Backwards Alphabet record. Mm -hmm. I kind of got the sense during the interview with Everett that he only really told us as much as he wanted to about <laughs> about these stories for each song, there's way more in there. And, and, you know, maybe he doesn't remember it. Maybe he doesn't want to tell us. Maybe. Okay, flipping it over, and we've got Safety in Sports, written by Erling and Everett. Uh, both Erling and Everett mentioned they had a number of safety theme songs dating mm-hmm. back to the name days, which this does. This, this goes back to name. Safety for Yourself, for example, on the first EP. I could not tell you what time signature this is in, but it most certainly is not 4-4. Four, four. No. No. I couldn't hazard a guess. Steel drums, though, on this one. Because why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, track 2, side 2, Belch Vigil. Written by Rick Caw- Crawford and Everett Shock. 3 a.m. Miami Beach. <laughs> this is just one minute of kind of beef heart absurdity. Yeah, rapping over some improvised sounds. It's a, it's a, I mean, one minute is the perfect length. Yeah. Another fave, Rabid Crab Baby, written by Bob Adams and Everett Shock. As I mentioned in the interview, this one was re-recorded on the CBA record with different lyrics as The Blood and the Ink. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one in Harry Wakes and then the next one. It's these are like the big standouts. The bass is just crushing it for me. I like when Everett's talking about gigantic cheeks of ham. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can kind of hear what Everett was talking about on these Bob songs, like where they were pasting them together. You know, mm, yeah. This is the one where you've got Henry doing his devil in the drain thing. Like yes, the devil voice. And Henry's solo at the end of this just rules so hard. Uh, and then we go to the, uh, what was apparently the hit, Stacy Eats Cheese, written mm-hmm. by Bob and Everett. Uh, the most rocking and straightforward track on the record for sure, although that's not to imply that it's not deliciously weird. <laughs> <laughs> this well, is, what gave it away? Stacy Eats Cheese or the Pink Bathroom? Yeah. This is probably an easy reference, but I hear Zappa's influence all over this, for mm-hmm. sure. Henry's solo is another highlight. Uh, Everett does a wild sax break on this one. And then we end the record with Nothing, Nothing Dog, written by the whole band, plus uh, Allison Shock and Duncan Wold. This is the one where Erling sat his then-infant son, Duncan, down at the Sinclair, and this is what he banged out. Mm. Interesting end to a far out record. This is also the one where the lyric is, it was a youth in a Star Trek suit. Yeah. The reference to Erling Wold walking around his high school in a homemade Star Trek uniform. Ultra nerd. Yep. Although, 
you and I played in a band that wore Star Trek uniforms one Halloween as a band. It's so, true. Yeah. Engineered by Mark Brian Johnson, who also worked on the CBA record. Mastered, of course, by J.G. John Golden. Recorded sporadically, January through July 1987. Covered by Everett's wife, Allison. Mm-hmm. You got like kind of a jester with some like a chicken on the front cover yeah fish Ch- chicken fish the number three yep just randomly a dog in the bottom left definitely that letra set lettering i would say yeah yeah the back kind of continues the theme but instead of a there's there's a, a fish a dog maybe it's a coyote or a wolf and a chicken uh, but instead of a random three on the back, there is a random X. Yeah. Then the insert, you can see who's who because their names are underneath them. You've got Mark looking through some donuts. Are those donuts? I thought they were. I thought they were tomatoes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's really easy to confuse donuts and tomatoes. It is. So, you know. Thankfully, we have the lyrics on the insert as well. Mm-hmm. Did you see who gets uh, a thank you in here? Who? S- some weird, like Splendrix. Yep. Gets a thank you. Uh, Geopig. I don't know what that is. Hmm. There's some There's some stuff in here that I don't know what it is. I think that uh, might have something to do with Everett's geology. Uh, pursuit ge- of geophysics? Yeah, I think so. Ah. I liked... Uh, a thanks to Duncan for his primal efforts. <laughs> like that one. Tell me there's dead wax, Ryan. Negative. Damn it. Of all yeah. the records. Yeah, no, missed opportunity. What about some Spaceman? Oh, you know there's some Spaceman about this record. Out of the SST catalog, Spaceman says, Everett Shock Ghost Boys. With a name like Everett Shock, you might expect some kind of punk rocker or the host of a late-night horror show on Channel 68 in Duluth. What you won't expect is some of the wildest guitar madness ever. This record will thrill and delight with its rebirth of the blues and every other form of guitar-oriented music. LP and cassette, 750. Everett's a punk rocker, though. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah. Ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. I think we know what my top three would be. Harry, Rabid, and Stacy. Those would be my top three for sure. Yeah, those are mine, and Toward Betty's Door also is in there. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think we should probably just go with Stacy Eats Cheese. It is the hit single yeah. that, that never was. <laughs> Let's great, do it. Great yeah. record, though. I hope everybody gets a chance to check this out. Yeah, it's out there. It definitely is one of those ones where, like, it would be really easy to toss it aside. You definitely shouldn't, and you should definitely try and listen to it start to finish. It's a, it's a, it's a cohesive piece of avant-garde rock music it's cool Uh, like we've said before on the podcast man i love talking to people like everett shock because 
everybody knows, you know, the Sonic Youth story. Mm. You know, uh, but nobody nobody knows the Everett Shock story. And like, sure, everyone talks about the landmark records being the making of SST. You know, the Dinosaur Junior and Husker Du and Meat Puppets, but these records are just as much of the story. Just as oh, much, yeah. of, just as much a piece of the story. They are for sure. They may not have been as famous, but they're definitely part of the story. It's really insightful when you hear Everett talk about, you know, how they got connected with SST, why SST put this out, you know, that's, that's why we love doing this show. Yeah. I don't think, you know, there's two sides to that. One is that they blew all the royalty money on these Mm, one-off projects the other side is there's some great stuff out there that maybe would not have come out and we wouldn't be talking about it right now. So mm-hmm. depends on your perspective. Easy one for me to take. I'm not one of the artists on the label, but all right. Well, hey, thanks to Erling Wold for sending in some comments and thanks yeah. to Everett Shock for being on the show. And thanks to Henry Kaiser. He hooked me up with, with Everett Shock. Oh, nice. Thanks, Henry. Yeah. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brandt. We've got another fave of ours that doesn't show up much on the SST catalog. It's SST 183, the These Immortal Souls Marry Me, Lie Lie, 12-inch EP. And we've got an extra special guest. Yeah, Genevieve McGuckin's on the show. Nice. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.